Tell you what the podcast where we talk with musicians about songwriting and the creative process. My name is Mike. Our guest for this episode is Liam Duncan, who records under the moniker Boy Golden. We discuss his excellent new record, Church of Better Days. If you're not already a Boy Golden fan and would like to hear some of the great music we talk about in the episode, I have a link on our website to a Spotify playlist of the songs discussed. Maybe you'd want to take a few minutes to listen now. might make the ensuing discussion more meaningful. Or listen later. I guess what I'm saying here is you should listen to this great music. So I'm joined once again right now in the Tell You What studios by our executive producer and spiritual advisor to the podcast. Great to have Susan here with us as always. Happy to be here. Now, quick update. In our last episode, we announced our initial listener contest based on your amazing database, didn't we? Yes. Since yes. Yes. trivia contest. Trivia contest. Yes. Since that episode aired, the contest entries have been flooding in, haven't they? Sure. If you say so. They have. Thanks to all those who responded. But here's the thing: no one has yet guessed the exact correct answer. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. To quickly recap, the contest question was: How many of our episodes have featured guests who were related to each other? They could have been married, siblings, parent and child, lab partner, etc. Right? Yes. But no one guessed the right answer yet. So we are extending the entry period. You can still enter to win a valuable Tell You What merch bundle. So are you saying people can submit a revision? Well, no, they can't submit a revision. You can't enter more than once. No. One entry per person. Okay. They knew someone else who wanted to enter. That person could enter. I suppose. Anyway, email us your guess. Tell you what podcast at gmail.com. You can contact us via social media, etc. All this information is on our website. You can basically just email us a random number and you have a shot at winning this, right? Yeah. Act now. Operators are standing by. If you do email us a random number, I would suggest an integer, a whole number, not a fraction, and a number lower than 35. That's the number of episodes we've had, so that would be the highest Well, this one will be 36. (laughs) All right. Enough about the contest. I think it is very fitting and appropriate that we have our spiritual advisor to the podcast available for this particular episode's introduction. Because Boy Golden not only has been making great music, but he also has founded his own church, right? Right. Church of Better Days, D-A-Z-E. During our discussion, I'm pretty sure I signed up for the church. I think I'm out of a job. (laughs) I signed up for the church during our talk because I was so intrigued by the concepts involved. So as spiritual advisor, what do you have to say about that? I think that Boy Golden might be your new spiritual advisor. You think that you've been He's set aside? Worthy. He's totally worthy. So you think it was a wise move for me to sign up for his church? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can laugh about this. And in fact, Liam laughs about it also. 
but he is at the same time serious about the ideas behind his church, such as it is. As you will hear, he wants to share the lessons he has learned on his own creative journey. The concepts of the Church of the Better Days involve becoming a better creative person, as he puts it, to enjoy each day and make good music. I really enjoyed talking with Liam. He is a thoughtful, positive, extremely creative, very self-aware, genuinely nice and funny person. He has reflected a lot on his creative life for someone still relatively young and has insights we can all take something from. Amen. Amen. <laughs> he has also created one of my absolute favorite records of 2021, Church of Better Days. Pretty sure this will score high on my Spotify year-end rap report this coming soon. These are upbeat, fun songs, very well crafted with great pop hooks and grooves. So give this record some attention. Also, check out the Church of Better Days. They have a fun website and maybe sign up as a fellow congregant with me and I'll see you at some services. In the meantime, let's get to it. Here's our Tell You What discussion with Boy Golden. Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Thanks for talking with us today. Well, I'll tell you what, it's my pleasure. There you go. Uh, you are coming to us from your home in Winnipeg. Do I have that right? Yeah, I'm coming to you from uh, the basement where I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I live here with my a couple of my best friends named Chris and Fontine, or Uli and Mama Tizzy in the Boy Golden universe. Awesome. Your record, Church of Better Days, came out a few months ago. I love it, by the way. We talked about it a few minutes ago. Um, would it be fair to say you were surprised by some of the attention it has gotten? Yeah, I am completely taken aback. It's been very strange, very lovely. Um, I've had the opportunity to play a couple shows now, and people are showing up knowing the lyrics and stuff. It's a whole new experience for me. But, you know, I'm obviously really grateful for it. I didn't at all make the record uh, intending for it to be, you know, received commercially. Uh, but it's nice when it does. It just goes to show you really can't can't tell when that's going to happen. That's right. Well, I don't recall how I first came across it, but it has had me under its spell pretty much immediately. So I'm not surprised that other people have noticed it. You should be proud. Thank you. So let's go back in time a little bit. Maybe tell me a bit about your early music memories, music from your home or community that maybe has made its way into your creative life now? Yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, you know, I think every artist is kind of a culmination of all of the artists that they've worked with or played with or just people they grew up with and everything. So I grew up in Brandon, Manitoba. It was a small-ish town, about 40,000 when I lived there. Uh, it felt smaller, though. <laughs> and... I started taking music lessons right away. I was a keyboard. I'm a keyboard player by by trade. Uh, classically trained at first, but I left that behind pretty quickly and started just doing my own thing. Had a couple bands in high school, and I had one band called The Middle Coast that that took me all over the place. We worked worked pretty hard and played 
over 700 shows together. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Japan, the U.S., all over Canada about a bajillion times. But as happens with a lot of bands, we broke up uh, when I was about 21 years old. And then I started the rest of my musical life. But I definitely credit my friends Dylan and Roman, who now go by Field Guide and Roman Clark. Okay. Um, with with uh, pushing me along this path because I've always have really loved music, really connected with music and especially with writing. But uh, I, growing up in Brandon, you don't see people doing it professionally, so you don't even really know that that's an option. Right. Uh, yeah, not that I have been doing it professionally, really, until this year because I've always had other jobs. Uh, but people were paying to see you perform. Yeah, and, I, and for sure. And like... I was always <laughs> quitting the other jobs to go do music <laughs> stuff. So, so let's still let's go back before that band. You, so, piano was your first instrument, right? Yeah, yeah. You, when did you start writing songs? Well, I only started writing songs when I was twenty-one years old because before that I was in the band. So I, I would, I would kind of help write, but I was a bit of a stunted writer at the time. Um, I wasn't a very I wasn't very happy in general. I was in a relationship that wasn't making me very happy, but also beyond that I just wasn't really feeling myself. I was very disconnected from myself at the time. Mm-hmm. And I literally just thought that I that I didn't have it in me because all I wanted to do, I wanted it so bad to be able to write and to be able to express the things that were in my head, but I just couldn't get past the feeling of hating every single thing I did, which <laughs> honestly boils down to on some level, just not really liking who I was. So at 21, I made sort of a shift in my life. I knew that I had to if I was going to be a happy person or a happier person, maybe. Right. And uh, that relationship broke up, and I went through a bunch of stuff, and then all of a sudden I was writing a lot of songs, and I released an album under the name Liam Duncan a, a year after that when I was 22 or 23. And that was like, those were some of the first songs that I ever wrote. Um, but yeah, it was it was nine songs out of about 40 that I'd written that year or something. So once it started, it was hard to stop. <laughs> yeah. Were there yeah. other creative outlets uh, when you were growing up, writing, art, anything like that? Or was music always the world you were in? Music was primarily the world, but also, also writing. Uh, my day job was, I was a freelance content writer on the internet. Okay. So I... I'd, I've always been a decent writer. I'm pretty good at technical writing, but I also just like, uh, I'd like just writing essays and things like that too. But there was never any like creative writing or poetry or things like that? Not so much. Same same issue, to be honest. I just always hated the things that I was saying, you know, because it never felt honest because I wasn't being honest with myself ever or anyone else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you mentioned... Uh, you're crediting your bandmates, and, and you said you spent a lot of time on the road. What do you think you learned from your time on the road and playing with others that you're bringing to this creative project now? Yeah, that's a good question. I learned a lot of what not to do as far as just like uh, being on the road all the time. It was really fun, but it's not necessarily the best way to go about making music. You end up spending a lot more time driving. On the right. other hand... Me, me and Dylan and Roman were very serious about becoming better musicians, and we took our musicianship really seriously. And we would record every show, and then we would listen to it in the van 
afterwards on the next day's drive, which was something that I grew to hate so much because it just, it like, uh, you really had to listen to yourself suck all the time. <laughs> and and I always tell people now when they're like, oh, like, what's the what's the best way to like get a start as a, as a, as an artist, it's like, well, start recording yourself. Like, you don't have to play shows and record yourself. Just record yourself all the time, and then you'll know right away where where you could be better. That because that's your taste, right? You know yeah. what you like and what you don't like. And so, you, if you're paying attention to yourself when you're recording yourself, you will figure out pretty quickly where you're uh, where you need to improve. So we did a lot of that, and so for sure that just brought my musicianship up to a level where I, I played with a lot of other awesome artists as a side musician. Right. For, yeah. So I would credit my time with the Middle Coast and on the road there with developing a lot of great relationships, a lot of great business skills, booking and writing grants and all sorts of stuff like that. But more than anything, just a lot of musicianship, which I really, I try to bring that forward into the Church of Better Days. And we have a lot of fun on stage and it's all about, it's all about making great music, you know? Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Can we talk for a minute about the boy golden persona in terms of what that means from a creative perspective or a performance perspective? Is there maybe something to taking on a character in terms of uh, enabling your songwriting that you're doing now? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Basically, writing songs under Liam Duncan just felt too personal because... I have a big imagination and I always have and like the song a song will start feeling very person, personal but then I will want to exaggerate certain things or certain elements of my personality and so Boy Golden is a way for me to do that to be a little sexier, be a little <laughs> be a little more goofy or whatever yeah. sometimes but but like just to, it allows me to just do whatever I want. I just feel totally comfortable with it and then when I'm boy golden on stage I am you know I'm a different person at home I come home and I take off my fringe jacket and I put on a sweater you know what I mean but like (laughs) um yeah being that character on stage is just really fun like yeah yeah you wear ridiculous clothes everyone gets into it and then it's a big party and I don't know I've been using a megaphone lately at my shows Nice. Just like yelling stuff into the crowd and getting people all hyped up, and so it's it's like it's just a really fun character to to embody, and it just really frees me up a lot with my writing and uh, allows me to think a little bigger. Can we talk about the genesis of it? Was it you saying, okay, maybe if I was a character, I could write songs differently, or did this thing just kind of evolve into something of its own accord? Yeah, it evolved pretty naturally. Like I was. After I released an album under my own name, I became kind of discouraged, maybe a little disillusioned with that because I worked quite hard at it in the same way that I had worked hard at with my old band, and it just didn't really work. And on top of that, I ended up not resonating with the album uh, that I had made as much. I still think it's good, but I I don't feel it the same way that I did when I was making it. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I need to... something. Something needs to change here. So I took I took the pressure off for about a year and a half. I didn't try to get gigs. I didn't try to do anything as an artist. All I did was play in other people's bands, engineer for other people, which I produce for other people, which all of these things I love doing. Right. And then 
but I had a little studio and I had it for three or four days a week. So I would go in whenever I had it. I would go in around nine or ten in the morning, smoke some weed outside, and then I would go and try and make a new song from start to finish every single time. And that that ended up being Boy Golden because the more I did it, the more free I felt with it, and the more it just felt like, oh, this isn't me anymore. This is just art now that yeah. I'm making. So, so it, the character evolved as part of your creative process itself. Definitely. And the character is basically just all my favorite parts of myself. I wish I could be Boy Golden all the time, master of positivity. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think this is a good time to talk about the Church of Better Days. Um, you seem to be the person to ask as you are listed as the founder, minister, and principal songwriter of the church, right? Um, how did you land on this concept, and how maybe does it provide a creative framework kind of around the boy golden character, right? Yeah, it's very important, and it's a work in progress. And I hope I have big ideas for, for the Church of Better Days. But essentially, I wrote the song Church of Better Days after meeting a fellow whose name was KG. He was an amazing keyboard player and in a really amazing gospel band. And we hung out all night, and he was a really interesting cat, very musically aware and also very spiritually aware because he was a reverend. And, but he also, you know, we, like, smoked a big blunt together and we partied <laughs> together and stuff. And it was just really interesting for me to see growing up in you know, a more Puritan place like most of Canada, really. Uh, that is not how I perceived spirituality, but I had I had this inkling at the time that, oh, was because he was talking about, and this is something I'd heard before, maybe you've heard before, but for, for many gospel musicians, the point of, of getting good at what they're doing, at, at improving constantly, at trying to make the most beautiful music possible is to honor god or honor creation however you right. want to call it and so uh, something in that sort of clicked with me being like this is how i feel when i write it's just like there is something inherently spiritual about writing about creating anything because it comes from nothing and and when you really drill down into the act of writing when you are writing it really feels like it comes from nothing. Like, who can say, why did you choose this line? Why did it, did it present itself to you? And then you said, yes, that's the one. Or it presented itself to you and you said, no, that isn't the one. All, all of that is quite mysterious. And I think that the more that I've done it, the more I really place a high value uh, on that in my life. So... When Church of Better Days came to me as a song, I, it just felt like a bigger concept to me and and felt like sort of a framework. I immediately just was like, oh, well, that's the name of this album. And then as soon as I started thinking about the album, I was like, okay, this could also be a framework for me to start talking about some of the things that I've learned going from a pretty blocked creative person to a less blocked creative person. Uh, and I, and I, I really want to share that with, with others and... and help other people feel the same. I was talking to a street corner preacher. He said, man, I got a few things I can teach you. Teach you how to live in a righteous way. Send you off to heaven this very day. He said, give me that bag, son, and make a small donation to the church of better days. He said, first off, you gotta bust up just enough 
ourselves a bet, yeah, that's right, kid. We're gonna smoke with the name. Three and a half grams of triple A to the brain. He said, This ain't no pipe rip. Are you feeling alright, kid? It's a church of better days. Come on. Yeah, I don't know if that does, that does that make sense? It's starting to. We can keep okay. talking about it. Let's keep talking about it. <laughs> Maybe ask me another question about it. <laughs> well, from my research into the church, I see a couple of themes represented that maybe influence or provide um, a good atmosphere for songwriting or creativity. Optimism, right? Uh, mm-hmm. co- collaboration. So maybe you can talk about some of the, the concepts that directly help you be a creative person within the church. Just taking a moment to think about that. Yep. Yeah, I think some of the some of the concepts that some of the concepts that help me uh, create within the realm of my Church of Better Days, definitely collaboration is is very important. I have a really amazing community in in Winnipeg of some of the best musicians that anyone will ever meet, and mm-hmm. they're all really really lovely people to boot, very down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth sort of prairie folk. And so a big part of the Church of Better Days for me is is always supporting these people around me and giving them a, a place to make music where they feel not stressed and they feel free to create whatever they want to create. So with almost every single member of the people that I play with regularly, I have been a part of their recordings. I've been a part of often their how they're presenting their music and art to the world, and uh, I just really love that, and I try and I try and keep that as a part of my day-to-day life, working with other people, supporting other people, because I really think that a rising tide raises all ships in that respect. Yep. And I also think that there is just lots of mag- magic in collaboration when you're in the re- recording process. Although there there are songs on on my album that I record played every instrument on or nearly every instrument and sometimes that's just how it has to be too but either way it's really fun and then probably the other the other main concept that uh you said optimism and i think optimism is one way to look at it um i see it more as just gradual improvements. (laughs) improvements. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm like a, I'm a op, I'm optimistic over the course of a lifetime or many lifetimes or eons, but as <laughs> as as a person, I don't expect much from my career, from my music, from from anything. I try and keep my expectations really low, and I think that anyone who's done DIY music for years knows that that is important because you get opportunities and lose them as fast as you <laughs> as fast as you turn around like it's right and and not all opportunities are what they seem to be so i i never i don't get my personal hopes up it's about making each day better so that you can live properly and and make creative decisions and make and just create in general so a big part of that for me is uh mindfulness and some sort of some sort of uh sort of contemplative practice i think right. And I, I think that cr- creating and songwriting is a contemplative practice if you are ready to think about it like that, but it isn't for everybody. So I try to encourage people to make that a part of their life. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you for a second here because I wanted to get to this. 
the concept of staying crispy from your website, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to quote now. It's a bit of a joke, my, but well, continue. I, but no, but I'm going to get to something less jokey here. Okay. Uh, and a quote from something you wrote on your website. I, boy golden, am perfectly crisp when I am recording, particularly when I am playing with others. I am listening in my headphones to the song and trying to allow the parts to come to me fully formed. This is the same feeling I get when I when sitting in meditation. When I finally settle in, there is a sense of dropping back. That is the same sense I get when I am recording. I find this very interesting in terms of the comparison to meditation. I like to hear artists talk about how they access their subconscious, quiet, the default mode network kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, some talk about ideas coming while driving, gardening, doing dishes, these kind of things. You recommend staying crispy, but you also are a meditator. So maybe you can talk about how that ties in with songwriting in terms of accessing the creative part of your brain. Yeah, you bet. I It's one of my favorite topics. Um, yeah. I've been meditating for quite a while since I was 16 on and off. And I had I was pretty serious about it when I was young. And then I went through a phase of not sitting very much because and that phase of not sitting came also at a time where I was writing for the first time but I was also feeling very bad you know lots of lots of big emotions some depression anxiety for the first time in my life I've dealt with depression before but never anxiety that was new to me but anyways so I thought that for some reason meditation and songwriting did not go well together because if you're in the moment or something like that and you're not getting letting yourself be lost in thought, then maybe the ideas aren't coming to you. But in fact, I've realized now that they are actually the same practice, really. You drop mm-hmm. back and you let the song come. You don't try and force things. I let Whenever I'm writing, I let whatever idea happen. I, I'll... I'll write all sorts of weird songs, weird ideas, strange melodies, lots of songs that will never really see the light of day. And honestly, it's hard for me because I'm like, ah, so I love some of these, but some of them just won't ever be like that. But yeah, so when I was writing that little essay there, I was thinking I had just come off a recording session where we were recording a bunch of songs live off the floor, but trying to get the record to feel like that. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, really good, but I'd never even played the songs before. So we mm. were working it out. And my intuition on, on my instrument when I'm doing that is I'd, I'd try and drop back and listen to the song, listen to what everyone else is playing. And then usually the parts are just there. And then it's a matter of me having the faculty on my instrument to play them well right away. But I'm always just, I will be quite free on the first pass, letting all my ideas come out. And then on the second pass, I'm like, okay, yeah, those are my first ideas. Now I just have to play them right. And, and right. That, is, that tends to be how I record when I'm recording either myself or other people. And then when So I'm you're r- saying it's that first pass where you are sitting back and letting, trying yeah. not to overthink it and letting the ideas come. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then a- after that, I have the ideas and it's a matter of, performing them correctly and so i think really truly masterful musicians that happens right away ideally their their Hmm. connection their connection with their body and with their instrument is such that they have the idea and they can play it right away sometimes i'm like that but sometimes my idea is a little bit bigger than my hands 
think it is. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. And then uh, I feel That's the where same. we get to the optimism over a lifetime thing. Then you have to yeah. Throw into those big exactly. Ideas. It gets better all the time, even though <laughs> yeah. I don't really practice my instrument that much. Um, but, and then I feel the same about, about songwriting. It's like, I, I think there's, there's so many ways to go about songwriting and get yourself into a place where where you can sit back and let songs come to you pretty easily. For a long time, I was writing a song a week in a very structured way. And sometimes I've gone through phases of writing a song every day in a, in a structured way. Um, these days, not so much. Kind of write when I feel like writing. Um, but either way, when I have that urge or when the song starts to come, I tr do my best to uh, honor that feeling and like, get myself somewhere quiet and then write just write whatever comes and not don't I don't, don't think about it too much it, I often finish the song and then it you know it doesn't feel like I even wrote it it just the song was there and then yeah. now now I have a recording of it <laughs> yeah on a related note do you find you mentioned this earlier smoking weed a helpful way to get into that creative mode to to quiet the noise I have found it helpful. I don't know how quite how to answer that at this very moment because my relationship with it is changing always. Okay. But right now I feel like it's more of a crutch for me than anything, to mm -hmm. be honest. But that's been a more recent thing. And definitely in the past, uh, it's been a really fun thing. It just allows me to have such a nice chill day. Like I have have a little hoot when I start and then it puts me into a certain mindset and then I can just go for a long time. I'm, I, I can, when I'm sober or not, I'm, I'm pretty focused so I can go for quite a while, but definitely if I get stoned, then it's like, I, and I, if I keep getting stoned and do what I call the studio speedball, which is <laughs> regular intervals of joints and coffee, then I okay. can go for I can go for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but sometimes you know sometimes it's hit it hits perfect, and other times it just makes me feel not so good. So I'm kind of yeah. trying to figure that out. I want to get back to the song briefly. Uh, Church of Better Days. I'm going to quote from the song here. Maybe maybe the manifesto in a, in, a, in a nutshell. You got to follow your heart. Make good art. Call your mama. Work real hard. I got to tell you, I spent a lot of time studying the religions of the world in my university days and beyond, and it was generally overall a depressing study, mostly dead ends in my spiritual <laughs> path. But if that's your church's manifesto, I think I would like to formally request admission. <laughs> You're welcome anytime, Mike. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much my MO. Uh, that's pretty much my MO. Yeah. Try and make uh, good art. Follow your heart. I try to call my mom... <laughs> Try and call yeah. my mom more than I do. <laughs> That's great. Um, is there a formal process I need to go through? Well, if you sign up on my website, churchofbetterdays.com, I will eventually yes. send you a welcome package, which is a little pamphlet and a, and a bumper sticker. And awesome. then from, from there on out, you know, just try and come to as many sermons as you can, which, <laughs> which are just my live shows. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about a couple of the songs on this great record. I want to talk about the song A Little Space. I think sure. this is a really well-crafted song all the way around, particularly in terms of its pop sensibilities. 
It has this great repeated musical hook in it, but also lyrics that are charming and witty. We can talk about influences. I, I saw you uh, you referenced J.J. Kale, and I want to get to that later. But when I hear this song, and I hope you take this as the compliment it's intended to be, I hear like Fountains of Wayne, um, Weezer, like early good Weezer, mm-hmm. uh, maybe Spoon in terms of like pop craftsmanship of the whole package of the song. Um were you going for any of this kind of sound, or, or did this just the way it ended up coming out? I was not going for any of those sounds, but I can totally hear where you're coming from there. And with my old band, we used to cover Stacy's Mom for years. So. Okay, okay. <laughs> so that <laughs> so makes perfect sense something to me. There. Yeah. yeah, you're totally onto something. But yeah, that's a cool song. I never expected people to like that one as much as they do, but a lot of people really do like it. Um, did it maybe start with that uh, musical riff in there? No, it started with this. Started with just. That's all it started with. I remember I was, uh, I was partying, on. It was like a little bit after New Year's Eve, but I think I was still partying. And then, I like had a moment away from other people with a guitar, and I was like, just played that, and I was like, oh, that's a cool riff. And then yeah. later on, we were in. I, I was living in Toronto, and we had. Me and a few of my friends had an indoor camping party <laughs> where we set up like a tent and a grill and like a bunch of stuff in our crappy little basement apartment. And then we had a camping party. And, and then the next morning, we were all just like sitting around recovering from our indoor camping party. And I was like, guys, like, help me help me finish this song. And is this, by the way, is this winter in Canada? Is this what happens? <laughs> I don't know if it's, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else does this kind of weird shit. <laughs> But um, anyway, probably, continue. but but yeah, I we wrote it just sitting around. Honestly, the song was mostly done. I just needed a f- bit of like help here and there. And so there's actually some chords and some moves in this song that I wouldn't normally do, um, and that was the influence of my friend Dylan and Chris and okay. Taylor, who are all sitting around with me when we wrote it. Yeah, well, yeah. it's yeah, like I said, it's a great song. I love that riff in there too. Okay. Yeah. That's it. talk a little bit more about the musical scene in Winnipeg. I was talking to some musicians from Toronto and they were very complimentary. They had good things to say about the music and the musicians coming out of Winnipeg. Yeah, it's ridiculous here. It's ridiculous. I 
there's a lot of really, really, really good music, and I'm not r- totally sure why it happens. People always say it's because it's the the winter's so miserable and cold that there's nothing else to do but make music, and I think, right. definitely think there's something to that. It's also just something too, like we had. There's been a good scene for probably 15 years, from what I can tell. Not that I've been old enough to know about it for that long, but one one generation of musician in, inspires another, and so there's a real. I've played with musicians from all over and lived in Toronto but in Winnipeg if you hire someone for a gig in my scene anyways it's like they show up with the songs memorized and sounding really good and that is just the expectation here and yeah um yeah the level of musicianship that you go and see in your average in your average bar band is definitely higher than normal but then also Beyond just bar bands or whatever that is supposed to mean, there's just lots of really cool bands and really cool musicians. So, yeah, part of why I want to stay in Winnipeg for like another year or so is because I think there's there's lots of music to make here that hasn't been documented very well, in my hmm. opinion. I'm quite picky about recordings. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to make some recordings with some of these people that I think represent how I see this artist. Yeah. Uh or how I see this group of musicians, and and so I, yeah, that's kind of part of my goal for the for the next year is presenting some of that and producing some of that sort of art. But um, yeah, the music scene is really cool here, and my, and my little circle of friends is pretty special, in yeah. in that they all are truly excellent. I'm sure it's intimidating at times. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the song KD and Lunch Meat. Sure. I need to point out to our American audience here that KD stands for Kraft Dinners, which we all know in the U.S. as Kraft Mac and Cheese, right? Yeah. I did not know what KD was. I had to actually look it up. I know. We sent little, uh, when we were doing the radio campaign for it, we made these custom Kraft Dinner boxes. Not sure if you saw those. (laughs) No. Which kind of helped explain the concept. Obviously, when I wrote the song, I had no idea that, I mean, KD... If you say KD to any Canadian, they know exactly what they're talking about and have eaten probably a hundred boxes. But like, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our American friends—they did not know what craft dinner I was. I do, and now all of my American listeners know. Yeah, craft um, dinner. Great song here. Also has that awesome bass line hook running through it. But the key to the song for me is that vocal melody hook in the chorus, the repeated high notes at the end of the phrases that really gets me. How yeah. did this one come together? This was. A direct result of my of my songwriting practice for a while where I was just going into the studio and making something new. I, I remember the day. It was like September or October, like a chill fall day. And, and I, my partner at the time dropped me off on her way to work. And then I smoked a little bit of weed, went up to my studio and just started playing on the Wurlitzer. And then I... And at the time, how I was writing all these songs, I would just like, it was all it was music first at the time for whatever reason. So I put on that little the JJ Kale drum beat, and like recorded yep. that. And then, for as long as I felt like doing it, which is kind of why the verses are so long in that song. Um, <laughs> and then I just re- recorded the. I was like, wow, what would be good chorus chords? Bam, banana. It's like okay, that's cool. Do that, and then. I just sat down and wrote a bunch of lyrics to it, and by the end of the day, it was done. And I didn't think about it again until I recorded, I re-recorded that one. That there's pretty much nothing that survived of the demo 
on that but one. But it was the same song. Yeah, totally. And it's it's like I kind of just like, you know, from a maybe a production point of view, I kind of think that there's too many choruses in that song, and like this, mm. I have some feelings like that. But then. It's also the song that's done the best out of ev- yeah. any song I've ever written, ever. So maybe I should just stop thinking. Because, <laughs> like, I didn't think about it at the time. I was like, whatever. This is a really good chorus. Let's do it six times. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. the thing. That hook gets in you. And, and yeah. uh, the repetition, I think, helps. I think it's really well put together. Lyrically, the song expresses kind of general optimistic life theme i'm using the term optimistic again that runs through a few of these songs i quit my job it's cool i have a few bucks let's go right yeah see that kind of come up in a couple other songs for sure that that was that was after a time where i was able i was working like three jobs and doing music and it was i was just working a little too hard and whatever and then i i ended up getting hired on this tour that allowed me to quit uh quit a job that I did not want anymore. And then I wrote that song, but it's also sort of about this kind of like a uh, special time I had when I was falling in love. Mm. And, uh, and I spent like 10 days just like pretty much just being in love and not really doing anything. Just like hanging <laughs> out. It was really nice. And uh, so it's also sort of about that to me as well. But I'm feeling good. Can you talk about that for a minute? This piano is important to you, right? In terms of your creative process? Yeah, that friggin' thing never works. <laughs> right? <laughs> half and half love that thing, hate it. It's like constantly giving me trouble. But yeah, I mean, I love that key- I love that, that keyboard. I play it all the time. And uh, Do you try and play it live? I play it, I play it live all the time. I don't bring yeah. digital keyboards around, usually, unless I really have to. Yeah, I have sort of a, I have a fairly unpretentious view of analog versus digital stuff. It's just that my preference tends to be towards the analog end. And and as far as just like playing a keyboard on stage, that thing has an amazing touch to it. And when you put it through an amp, it can sound anywhere from like a beautiful, beautiful like electric piano sound to like a really gnarly electric guitar. So it's just a, it's a diverse instrument and it looks cool. And, you know, it's a giant pain to haul it around, but I do it anyways. <laughs> it's not a hobby. <laughs> how, how old, roughly, is this instrument that you're playing? Uh, it would be from the late 60s. Yeah. Um, it's this 
200A student model with the speakers built in, but uh, these things were not really very well constructed ever. Um, well, you're playing it 50 years later, so there's something there. Yeah, for sure. But even at the time, <laughs> they were just finicky and like the all the electronics were bad and I recently replaced the whole amplifier in it and it's still giving me trouble and I'm constantly tuning it, breaking reeds and stuff. It's really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll never get rid of it. Nope. And I'll keep hauling it around to all my gigs. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about J.J. Kale for a minute. Uh, you've said, you've mentioned him, and I, I've read that you've you've talked about him as an influence. I can hear it. And part of his genius to me was that his songs had this real groove, right? But on top of that, the lyrics sounded so natural and smooth and interesting on top of that groove. It all really worked together. And I hear some of that in your songs. And then... I. Uh, uh, specifically uh, in the song Smoke on the Breeze, that kind of reminds me of some of his stuff, like maybe Magnolia, one of his great songs. So can you talk about his influence on what you're doing now? Yeah. There is definitely a lot of influence, but it's primarily on the recording end for me. I mean, obviously, I love I love the songs. I'm a huge fan of listening to every record. And I've also been a part of a, many J.J. Kale tribute shows over the years. But Okay. But the main thing for me was... Um, I read some interview where he talked about using that drum machine in Call Me the Breeze and in several other songs and why he used it. And basically it was just like, yeah, it was just too annoying to try and get a drummer down all the time. So I just did this drum machine instead. And one of my favorite things about his his records is that from song to song, sonically, they'll be totally different. In one song, the vocal sounds great. In the other song, it sounds really weird and strange and not so good. And the mixes are all over the place. And I just love that because I'm to me leads me to believe that he just he just doesn't let anything stop him from making the song that day. So I was having the same issue. I had a bunch of these tunes, and I was like, had my friend Dr- uh, Roman over, who's my favorite drummer, and we started making some drum tracks, and he was like, man, this is not nearly as cool as what you were just doing with the drum machine. You should just do that for every song. And then I was like, yep, <laughs> you're totally right. That's and a good I, drummer. Yeah, exactly. Well, Ro- Roman's a good everything (laughs) yes a good collaborator Um, i should say yeah yeah but he is an excellent drummer um yeah so i just started i i I, that re made me reimagine what the record could be and then i just stuck to it there's no real drums on the album it's all drum machine there's a lot of rhythm ace which is the same one that jj kale used but i didn't stick to that i used quite a few other drum machines as well okay yeah um i do want to talk about your lyrical style if i can it I think it's so great the conversational tone of a lot of your uh, the lyrics to these songs. In my opinion, this is a lot harder than it looks. Let's say with like maybe more poetic or abstract lyrics, you have this leeway, this option to drop words. You don't have to have full sentences, so you can kind of work within the melodic or rhythmic constraints of the song when you're creating it, right? But here you're writing conversations kind of on top of these grooves, and it seems natural it sounds very natural to me does this coming easily to you or are you working at it rewriting so it fits the music yeah i don't do a ton of the rewriting i guess it comes pretty natural um my my style whether i'm writing music or writing words on paper has always been quite conversational just because i find that's the easiest way to make something that uh is really coherent to to the listener Right. Um, these days I do, de- I'm definitely writing a little bit more poetically in, 
or, and a little bit more abstractly, especially throughout COVID when there just was a lot less to write about. I, I felt like I had to push myself a little bit. Yeah. And I've actually really, really enjoyed that. But but nonetheless, it's always been, you know, I don't do a ton of rewriting, but I, it definitely has to be, I don't like the word perfect, but it has to be perfect to my ears, the way the way that the words are coming off my tongue. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. yeah, so. But you're starting with the groove and the beat, right? And then the words are fitting on top of that. Yeah, exactly. And, and. My other my other philosophy has been that I never really let uh, I never really let like melody or or like uh, structure dictate what I'm gonna say. If I have something to say, I'm gonna make it happen and fit it in there. Right. So how does that? What what sacrifices are you making to make that happen? I guess. Um, I don't know if I make sacrifices. Really, I say I feel like I try to say what I mean to say, but what I the edits that I do make are anything that I feel like puts in extra syllables that are not necessary or puts in extra words that take away from the meaning of the song. So this is one of my big things with songwriting. I have a few words that I think people use way too much that actually that actually diminish like the the meaning of the song like just people people use that all the time just do this just just come over just do that it's like actually it makes it seem too simple when you use that word just it's not it's just like if you say come over or love me or be here or whatever it's like it's not it it's better to just say what you mean instead of being like just do this or uh i'm trying to think of another word that I feel this way That's about. That's interesting. It's kind of a cop out word. I feel like it's a cop out word, and yeah, and I, I'm always when I'm producing other artists, I'm always getting them to, uh, to trim extra little words like extra ands. People put in lots of extra ands and stuff like that, and I'm like, you, you have to be able to, in my, for me, anyways, I have to be able to read the lyrics on a sheet and be like, yeah, I would say this. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely get that feel from from your songs it's it's a remarkable uh, i think actually the way how natural it sounds cool yeah. <laughs> it's just how i do it i don't know <laughs> all right let's go back to the song smoke on the breeze can you talk about that one i mentioned it earlier it's a nice song yeah that's probably my favorite song i've ever written maybe wow. um yeah i don't really well, I do know why. It was about it was about that same time in my life that I talked about earlier. But that song has evolved for me a lot over the years, over the last two years since I wrote it. Um, when I first wrote it and demoed it, which is the same thing because I write and demo at the same time a lot, I just cried every single time I listened to it. And, and for me, my emotions are not usually that close to the surface, so I really like it when something does it does that to me. Wow. Um, and yeah, I would I would be like working on it and just like fighting back tears or letting them happen, and then I would take it into my car and listen to my mix, and I w- and then I would cry again, and and I I just wasn't sure why, and and at at first I thought, oh, this is this is a love song, and I'm in love, so it makes sense that this makes me cry, but then what I realize now and realized with the help of a friend who was kind of like helping me parse out some of these 
questions I have about my songwriting, but I think it has a sort of nostalgic feel to it because when I was writing it, it's it's sort of I realize now that the perspective of the narrator in that song is looking back on a relationship, still holding a, a place for me, still saving a smoke for me, still. You know what I mean? And yep. so it's like I already knew that that relationship was going to end when I wrote mm. that, which was also when I was the most in love. And so no wonder that would make me emotional in some deep way. It's like, yeah. and and uh, <laughs> I, have the, I have this thing where, because my, my songwriting practice is usually pretty regular, and I, and I really write whatever, and I really don't edit at all, there's this tendency for me to be a bit prophetic in my songs, and then things that I'm writing about, I won't really understand, and then three months later, I'll be like, ah, yes, I predicted this thing that was going to happen that I was already <laughs> feeling somewhere. Yes. And, oh, that's just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the worst. I, like, realize some deep truth when I'm songwriting, and I'm like, damn it. Now I have to deal with this? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. You have to access your superpower more effectively. Yeah. Or just live or live like better so that I don't constantly have to realize I was lying to myself about something or whatever. <laughs> now, did, did you say your relationship to the song changed or the song itself changed over time? The song remained exactly as it was when I first wrote it. The relationship okay. is what's changed. Yeah. yeah. It's still a very difficult yeah. song for me to play live. To be honest, and maybe that'll right. hopefully change, change. But it's still I played it live for we I, we had a good show last weekend. It was like yeah, it was all sold out and everything, and really fun. And played that song for the first time in a long time, and <laughs> I had to shorten it because I was not making it through. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, I think you should work to keep it in the set because obviously that will have an impact on the performance. Your relationship to it. Yeah, I have to keep getting better at it. It's just uh, a timing thing. Let's talk about live performance for a second. You talked about it a little earlier. I saw a video of your WMOT live stream thing you did. Yeah. Um, you and your band seemed to be having a grand time, really enjoying yourselves and each other. It was it was compelling to watch. So can you talk about live performance, what you think is important, what you're trying to bring? Yeah, the main thing about your live performance, well, I should not speak for other people. The main you thing about... for me. <laughs> for me... I do not like being stressed about my live performance. I do not like being stressed ever about anything, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I really work hard to create a really relaxed atmosphere in both rehearsals and on stage. I mean, the show itself is quite high energy. Uh, like, it can turn into quite a bit of a party. But 
uh, there's just so much around shows that can be really stressful. Learning songs, switching out, switching out band members all the time, getting there, all that shit. Gets getting paid. Getting paid. All of that turns into quite a stressful thing. So I try to manage that really well. And part of that is just showing up and really knowing what you're doing. Um, which that's right. my my sideman training has uh, helped quite a bit with that. And everyone in my band is quite experienced in that realm as well. So. Um, but yeah, that's the main thing for me. I don't sweat it too much. It's a live show. It's not a recording. It can happen. It can get a little messy and it's fine. And, uh, yeah, that's how I, so do you take on that responsibility as, as band leader to make sure that the group itself is relaxed and and having a good time? Absolutely. And I'm, I hope that my band comes away from my, uh, project feeling like it was a very easy and fun experience all the time. I think they do, but like I, I, I work to make the rehearsals. They're regular, but they're relaxed, and I usually have snacks and beer, and I have it all set up. But when they all yeah. come, and and then uh, for the shows themselves, you know, everyone's really busy, and and not everyone can always make it to the show, and and uh, I'm just, I'm just not into stressing about it. If you can't make it to a show, that's okay. I'll get someone else to play. I don't know. That that's my current perspective on it. And the reality is as the front person, it pretty much just comes down to how good I am on some level. I can bring another musician that is excellent into the fold and they can learn the songs and do a great job, but if I'm up there freaking out, being anxious or something, that's going to wash over the crowd and then everyone's going to yep. feel weird. If I'm up there feeling great talking and singing and interacting, then uh then yeah, it's huge. And then uh, for me, a big part of that is like, there are certain members of my band that are that are, are consistent, and they make me feel really comfortable. Right. Um, I mean, I play with Roman, who I've been playing with since I was fourteen years old. I probably mm-hmm. won't always get to play with Roman because he's got his own career <laughs> to worry about. But for the time being, that is pretty special and really fun. And then I I sing with my friend Fontaine, Mama Tizzy, and we're yep. really great friends. And our relationship on stage just keeps getting better and better, and she always makes me feel so comfy up there, and we have a lot of fun singing together. So, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, as, as an audience member, if I get the sense that the artist is having a good time, it makes yeah. a big difference to my experience. Oh, yeah, 100%. If, yeah. I mean, I can, enjoy, I can enjoy a show where the music is really good, but the artist is obviously uncomfortable. I can still enjoy that, especially if I really love the music, but... Nothing is more fun than than seeing an artist in their element and and enjoying themselves and just making music for the for the heck of it. Yeah, yeah. So I understand there's a visual art aspect to the Church of Better Days, an art installation or an art show. Yeah, I put together an art show in August. It was kind of an um, well, it was an idea for a music video that sort of got a little out of hand and then I ended up curating an art gallery because I needed an art gallery as a set piece for this music video and then just turned into okay. this larger project, which was really fun. I have a habit of doing that, <laughs> getting myself all stressed, but it ended up being really fun. Uh, I'd never done anything like that before and I really don't consider myself very gifted in the visual realm, but it was really cool. It was fun. I'll probably do something like that again. Uh, back to live performance for a second. I, I know this is a weird time for everybody, but are, are, should we hope to see uh, the Boy Golden Band show make its way down to the States at some point in the future? I certainly hope so. I was supposed to be playing there next week, 
Uh, supposed to be playing in Nashville, but canceled. Right. Uh, so won't be heading down there just yet. I don't know. To be to be frank, the practical the practical hurdles to playing in the states at the very moment are pretty large for Canadian artists. There's the visas are extremely expensive and they're harder to get than ever. Mm. Um, on top of that, the testing requirements in and out of in and out cost almost uh, three three grand to oh get in, just to get in and out of the country, uh, just to get like the the COVID tests and everything. And yeah, and then on and then hotels and rental cars are more than ever, and it's just a it's a hard time to be a, to yeah. be on tour. So I'm not really pushing it for the same reason as I said before. I do not like to be stressed out when I'm playing shows. <laughs> so we'll be patient. Definitely. Yeah, I, I was disappointed. I'm disappointed that we can't come down for Americana Fest, but I'm hoping that we uh, we we make it down sooner rather than later. But yeah, all right. We are where we are in the world right now, so. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Well, Liam, I think I've taken up enough of your time. But before we go, I'd like to give you the chance to offer some final words of inspiration to our listeners, maybe some wisdom from the Church of Better Days. Yeah, absolutely. If you can today, just kind of make note of everything that's around you. Make make some notes of uh, things that are frustrating you and maybe some things that are feeling really good. Try and be a, be present for that, and then allow yourself to feel what that brings up, and then hopefully maybe you'll have a slightly better day. Be be here if you can. It's the only place to be. Amen. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Mike. This was really fun. What a nice way to start my day. He said one last thing before we part ways. Huh. You gotta follow your heart, make it art. Yes, sir.